Well, friends, uh, before we dive into our, our message this morning, I have a deep and probably existential question to ask each one of us. Are you ready? Do you remember what life was like before there were memes? Before there were these memes all over the internet, pictures of cats talking to random ladies, and all kinds of people that just all happened to share the same name, Karen, for some odd reason. I don't know whoever came up with the name Karen, and I feel bad for anybody named that. (laughs) But memes, these things that we enjoy, these things that we love seeing, can you remember what life was like before there were memes? (laughs) sure many of us probably cannot. But before that, though, uh, there was this time back in the 90s that I remember seeing what we might know of as uh, these motivational posters plastered all around, all around my own school growing up, motivational posters saying such wonderful quotes by Napoleon Hill and people like them saying, go and achieve your dreams and shoot for the skies and be yourself and all kinds of wonderful biblical things, right? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But there was this one poster that I remember seeing as a kid that always caught my eye, and it was this one with the big word of persistence written all over it. Persistence. And some of you who uh, have seen these motivational posters back in the day uh, might recall this persistence poster, the one with uh, the young man chasing the young girl, probably two track stars, running off into the sunset, off into the distance with the skyline there in view. And uh, for those of us who saw it, you know, the poster was there saying, essentially, continue to chase your dreams. Keep going. Keep going. But most of us, including myself as guys, just saw it as, okay, if you keep chasing her, you're going to get the woman of your dreams. Just keep chasing her. Persist. Persist. (laughs) Well, about 20 years later, after these uh, motivational posters kind of faded away into oblivion, uh, the new age of memes was before us all over the Internet. And a lot of us began seeing these newly revised motivational posters being repurposed. Uh, And that poster that said persistence, I saw, I remember years ago, before all the cat memes and whatnot, um, this poster that said persistence, now on the bottom said, dude, just let her get away. She's running away from you. You do not need to keep on chasing her. It's a lost cause. Give up. (laughs) Demotivational posters. But believe it or not, our message this morning is not on demotivational posters or memes, thankfully, uh, but rather on the idea of persistence, keeping up, persisting. This notion that certain things in life are indeed worth pursuing and chasing until the end, no matter how bitter that end might be. (laughs) Like a soccer player who plays the forward position, If you persist against all the odds and end up scoring that goal, the entire 90-minute game that you just played and worked hard at all of a sudden becomes this sweet victory as long as you persist and achieve that goal. For those of you who are students here uh, who might have just taken the SATs recently and have studied hard, you know as well that that level of excellence that you've had to maintain for so many years is now thankfully, and praise God, paying off as you're able to secure the school of your preference and your choice. For those of us who are already in the workforce and who are older, we know that this idea of persistence still rings true. If we maintain this diligent work ethic and a level of grit and tenacity in our own work, it showcases a steadfast loyalty for not only 
our company or our organization, but even our fellow colleagues. And it shows that we are in this. We are persisting until the end. But this notion of persistence is entirely futile without one key thing behind it. And it's this idea of intrinsic worth. The worth that makes persisting worth the effort in the first place. Now, as believers, we are and we will indeed be called to suffer in various names for, uh, various ways rather, for the name of Christ Jesus as we bear his name upon us. We saw last week in Acts chapter 4 this first moment of persecution against the church. Peter and Paul being incarcerated and being essentially not only arrested but rebuked harshly even at that. Even being spiritually charged by the high priest and the others gathered with him like the Sadducees and others. And they faced in that moment the beginnings of what we saw as explicit persecution against the church in Acts 4. But here in our text this morning, which will be in Acts 5, verses 17 through 42, we are now about to see these same apostles, but now in the greater number of them, possibly all 12 of them even, experience a greater threat against not only their lives and their welfare, but the message, the message concerning Christ. These men who were appointed by Christ would here in our passage of Acts 5, verses 17 through 42, begin to suffer dishonor and shame all for the sake of Christ Jesus. But again, here in Acts 5, we will see this theme of persistence. And we will see just how they persisted in the midst of incoming persecution against them. They persisted, in short, as a teaser here before we read the passage, because they were resolved. They were resolved by one mission, to exalt Christ. They were resolved with a heart that was fixed so intently upon the prize of Christ himself that they could not be shaken or deterred from pursuing that goal of making much of Christ. So friends, what was their resolve? What did they resolve to do? Well, in essence, their resolve was to obey God rather than men. And you'll hear that theme repeated throughout Acts. We saw it last week in Acts 4, and we're about to read of it again here in Acts 5, that they would rather obey God than obey men. They resolve to proclaim Christ and him crucified and resurrected, and so make disciples of every ethnicity and people group baptizing them, as we just saw earlier, and teaching them then, therefore, in response, to obey everything that Christ himself had commanded them. For the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, was with them by his spirit. And they knew that they were sent out by nothing short of his authority, Christ's authority. So knowing this context now, I love to... Um, invite us to turn, if you haven't already, to Acts 5, verses 17 through 42, as we read here the message concerning Christ. The word of God here says this, Acts 5, 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, 
they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. <clears throat> and when they had brought them, they sent them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's come before him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word never returns void and that you have prepared us even now to receive your word with gladness and with hearts that are wide open to you. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak these same words of life that we just read about into our hearts. And so refresh us and restore us and cause us to see Christ 
afresh this morning. Use this message for your glory and may you be the one who speaks to your people here. So we ask all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, friends, this morning I want to focus in upon two key aspects of our text. Uh, Breaking it up as it is a bit, of course, on the longer side as we just read. I want to break it up into two sections, namely verses 17 through 32, uh, and then verses 33 through 42 as well. In that first half, we're going to see explicitly the apostles' persistence. Again, the idea of persistence. But then, toward the end, we begin to see in verses 33 and following something that happens there. For after they persisted, everything was out of their hands. And instead, at this point in the last half, we're about to see then God's providence on full display. So essentially, we're going to see the apostles' persistence met with God's providence in the last half. Now, if you recall last week, uh, the events in which we just read, uh, they were hardly isolated from the rest of the book of Acts so far. As we've been going through this series, we've already read of the incoming and onset of persecution in the church. And we even saw it on full display there in Acts chapter 4. Just days prior in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, if you want to flip back over to that and just be a little refreshed on what we just were hearing last week, we read last Sunday about how the high priest, along with his entire family, along with Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and even the Sadducees and the captain of the guard and all of the remaining priests within the temple itself, they stood up within the temple itself of all places and opposed the work of Christ, even within the temple. They opposed Peter and John for proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God, that the Christ is Jesus. And so these people last week, as we read, used every ounce of their spiritual authority to charge them. Again, that word for a spiritual charge was used there in Acts, a strong Uh, using of their spiritual authority in every way, they brought that and leveraged it against the apostles. And yet, by God's grace, it fell flat. (laughs) Now, these people, unfortunately, for their own sake, um, the high priest even of all people, Annas, was an unbeliever. Caiaphas and others, they were all just, as I mentioned last Sunday, almost like puppets in this religious scheme. They were observing this empty shell of a religion, but they missed the centerpiece of it, namely Christ. And so they were unbelievers who detested the word of truth, the gospel. And yet Peter and John's distinct response to them, as we saw earlier, was this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. In essence, that is your role. You should be doing that. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, saying, we will continue on. We will persist. Now, the apostles, as we know, were released at that time uh, for fear of the growing number of believers. There in Acts 4, already at least 5,000 men alone, possibly many, many more, even within a few days after this event, as they continued to grow in number. These believers in Jerusalem who were rejoicing and praising God for his faithfulness, they were growing in number daily. 
and signs and wonders continue to be done at the hands of the apostles. And so as we skip over from chapter 4 into chapter 5 this morning, we're unfortunately skipping quite a bit, like the story about Ananias and Sapphira and more signs and wonders being done. So of course I'd like to invite you to read that at a later time, but know that there was some time in between these two events. This event of them being arrested the first time and then being arrested again a second time. But something distinct was happening in that time. Again, they were persisting. They were pressing on. Picking up here in Acts 5 or 17, the high priest and those of his religious sect, namely the uh, Sadducees, were ticked off yet again by these reckless apostles. They were filled with utter jealousy as their man-informed shell of a religion was being dismantled by the true religion concerning Christ that had been foretold of long ago, that they themselves had tripped over and stumbled over Christ the cornerstone himself. For we know that the whole of scriptures were always purposed to showcase Christ as the Redeemer, that catechism that we just read earlier. It's always been purposed to showcase that he is the Redeemer of his own elect. And yet they missed everything about that, the high priest and those along with him. They missed the beautiful, lovely, and pleasing aroma of the gospel and found it to be a stench instead of that which saves them. But in the meanwhile, thousands upon thousands of men and women and their households were being brought to faith and to repentance of their sin. And they were joining the church through baptism, that entrance into the covenant community even. And visibly the church was growing in spite of the oncoming persecution. Picking up in Acts 5, verse 18, it says this, their response to these things, the growing number and the gospel being preached concerning the high priest and all of them, they arrested the apostles and put them in, this is different this time, the public prison. It's a little different than their last holding over during the night. Now, though the exact number of the apostles here is unlisted, you know, we saw Peter and John last week and possibly the healed man as well uh, who was along with them, who was possibly also incarcerated, potentially. Um, here, though, it speaks of the apostles as a group. And so most likely all 12 of them would have been rallied up and rounded up and brought to the temple and then thrown into prison. What a tremendous sight to behold. But whatever the case, however many apostles were actually there in the moment, whether it be the full number or just the majority of them, whatever the case was, they were not simply arrested for preaching Christ within the temple, as was the case in Acts 4. Rather, what does it say? They were arrested for proclaiming Christ throughout all of Jerusalem. See, the message was advancing and spreading. It couldn't be stopped. It was like yeast being kneaded into a whole patch of dough. And it just continued to spread, and it couldn't be stopped. And so these apostles were arrested all over again and thrown into the public prison by force this time from wherever they were preaching the gospel. And this all happened, and I think it's worthy of noting this, it all happened within a day's time. It happened within a day's time, as is inferred by verse 19, as they were then held overnight together. 
And I think this is important because in terms of them resisting the authorities, they certainly did proclaim the gospel, but they were compliant in terms of the civil magistrate. And there's an important point of application for us. They were compliant in as much as they could, biblically speaking, be, though they were not in the wrong. But rather than complying to the direction of not preaching the gospel, they, of course, had to disobey that. They sifted through what was of God and what was of man. And these people, the apostles, continued in leading even us by example in this way as they entrusted themselves, their souls, to a faithful creator while doing good. However, I love seeing God's handiwork here in this same verse, in verse 19. It says this, During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This is so fascinating because up until this point throughout all of scripture, whenever we see some kind of angelic um, visitation, especially in the Old Testament, there's always this attendant message essentially saying something of peculiar importance to the people in that time, something specific to that situation. But here we see a poignant difference. Here when the angel appears, he doesn't give them this new message. Rather, he says, keep doing what you're doing. Keep persisting. Keep preaching the word of life. Essentially, the angel, by God's own message through this being, told them, essentially, Christ is the life. And he's the true temple. Keep on preaching that life in the temple. And so they entered the temple the very next morning after being released. And they went in at daybreak the crack of dawn and begin to teach as if for the first time they're in the temple. This right here, friends, is the heart of Christian persistence. Persistence for the sake of Christ. See, just one day prior, they had been rallied up by their captors for what purpose? For preaching the name of Christ. And they preached him throughout all of Jerusalem. They have been scorned publicly already by this point by the so-called religious persons, these people who seem to have everything together. And they have been beaten for proclaiming in the temple the name of Jesus. But these religious persons were blind all the while to the glory of Christ while doing so. And it's such a sad irony to see that here. And yet, as soon as the Lord released them, as soon as they were released from that prison, they went right back to persisting and obeying God, not man. They took the message back into the heart of the temple this time. Not just the streets of Jerusalem where they were gathered up, but there into the temple, the epicenter of the entire city of Jerusalem the place that had been built for the worship of God Almighty, this place that was meant to ascribe praise to the name of God. They went there, though, to ascribe praise to God and his anointed, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They couldn't be stopped. I love this note, though, moving on in our narrative, how... Uh, 
Luke, as he's writing this, seems to pick up on this, that the high priest came in to work a little late that day. <laughs> it says the high priest came in to the temple later that morning after the apostles had already been there for quite some time even, and he ends up assembling the whole of the religious council, including the Pharisees, along with, and this is different from the last chapter, all of the judicially-minded senate. So essentially what was going on here? Was it just this spiritual case or trial now? Not anymore. He was taking it to the next level. He was including those who had jurisdiction and authority through the civil magistrate. He was trying to essentially snuff out the apostles themselves, but also the message of the gospel once and for all by using every ounce of authority that he could muster up, both the spiritual authority that he could and the civil authority. But by God's providence, we see God do something great here in this story. The irony of ironies concerning the high priest himself, this guy Annas that we know here in the text, is that he himself was actually of the line of high priest who was purposed to exalt God and the coming Redeemer throughout the generations. He was purposed to pave the way, essentially, for the coming of the Messiah, and yet he had missed it all. He was there so often making atoning sacrifices for the people, foreshadowing Christ to come, and yet he missed it. And just months prior, he himself was the one who condemned Christ to crucifixion. Christ, who was truly the true high priest, the high priest come in the flesh, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so now, irony of ironies, this puppet high priest, now defunct high priest, stood up ready to blot out the name of Jesus because he failed the first time. And he did this by essentially providing a full front attack against the author of life by going after his followers. If imprisonment and persecution had been at the doorstep of the apostles as we saw last week in Acts 4 during that first imprisonment, now was such a much deeper uh, warning, if you will, being put out before them. No longer was it just persecution that was at the doorstep, but now, knocking loudly at the door of the apostles, was the notion of martyrdom, their lives at stake. But something marvelous happened here, friends. God provided a way of escape. See, the guards who were sent to retrieve the apostles were shocked when they found Later on in the next morning, no one by the name of Peter, James, or John, or the other nine apostles there. Rather, the apostles, and all of them included, were found there in the temple preaching the gospel, again, as though for the first time, persisting over and over again, come whatever may. I feel like it's almost like watching a cartoon, like the old cartoon Tom and Jerry. You know, the cat and mouse game of, you know, these captains of the guard chasing down Jerry, in this case, or the apostles, and them just running back and forth. But in reality, they sent forth and they found the apostles there in the temple, like a cat and a mouse, and rounded them back up all over again, thinking that they had finally got them this time, and they brought them before the whole of the council. But again, also this time, the Senate, both 
the civil magistrate and the spiritual authorities. They said this, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Said the control-seeking, now defunct high priest to them. To which Peter and the other apostles answered collectively, we must obey God rather than men. Notice their resolve though here, church. Their persistence in proclaiming life in the name of Jesus was not without human shame. But they were nevertheless resolved to honor the name that is most highly esteemed, even in their dishonor. Just as in the previous passage of their other incarceration, their message moving forward now with this harsher judgment and harsher imprisonment and authority being wrongly executed against them, in this moment, their message continued to remain unchanged. It was as if their livelihoods themselves and their welfare was on the line. But he continues on here, Peter speaking on behalf of the apostles. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Friends, at this point in our story, there was no human escape now. What would happen? Their fates were seemingly signed, sealed, and delivered into the hands of ungodly men. Both the council and the senate, the spiritually abusive company of unbelievers, and even the civil magisterium behind them and backing them up. What would they do? Well, it's here that we find the turning point in our text, the second half of our text, here in verses 33 and following. See, we saw earlier the apostles' persistence, but here we see God's mighty hand of providence, providence in caring for his own. And God provided a way of escape here in this text through the use of one man in particular. Who was that? Gamaliel. Gamaliel. So who was this man exactly? Who was this guy Gamaliel? Gamaliel himself, we know from church history, and especially here in the book of Acts, was an honorable Pharisee who may or may not have been at that last arrest in the previous chapter. However, he most certainly was familiar with the name of Jesus Christ, for he was of high esteem and high regard and was most likely gathered at most of these events as a Pharisee himself. We know from not only church history, but also the book of Acts as well, which is historically accurate as well, an account of these things, that he was a mentor to the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. He was a mentor not only to him, but so many others within that company of Pharisees. He was a man of influence who believed the Lord. And we know even from church tradition, and I love this, this truth, that when you look throughout the history of the church, so many records state that Gamaliel himself eventually himself came to faith in Christ. He too would come to this place of following Christ. And we even see here in Acts 5 a foreshadowing of this. 
For this man was wise and he was someone who heeded the voice of God, who heeded the voice of wisdom, even here in this text. And to borrow the words of Christ, he was not far from the kingdom of God. And so commanding attention, Gamaliel said the following in verse 35. This following text, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. He then explained, as we read about earlier, that the men like Theodos and Judas, the Galilean, who had risen up prior in Jewish history, they had risen up and within time, their uh, zealous revolts against certain powers that be all seemed to fail and fester in the end. And all their followers just dissipated as soon as these men like Theodos and Judas were killed. And so essentially Gamaliel says, in appealing to the God of heaven himself, be careful what you do here. And essentially he's saying, if such was the case with these men who were teaching falsities and untruths, if these apostles are indeed preaching something that is false, it will in time fade away. It will not stand the test. In fact, don't let their blood be on your hands because somebody else will take care of it, essentially. The civil magistrate will do their part down the road. But Gamaliel essentially was was insisting to the rest of his company, if the cause of the apostles was indeed from God and his anointed, as this company of the apostles were articulating, resistance against them would prove to be futile. But notice this wise word in verse 39 that Gamaliel says. In verse 39, he draws the attention of the entire crowd, the council and the senate together to this enduring truth. He said this, if this plan or undertaking is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And here's the clencher. You might even be found to be opposing God. This is exactly what did them in. This moment where all of a sudden they were sulking within themselves. I don't want to oppose God. I don't want to be a part of that. And so even the high priest himself and the rest of his followers, the fellow Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Senate members along with him all just took a step back and figured, okay, We've had our run with this. We'll come back to it later, but we'll go ahead and stop this proceeding in the moment. See, by appealing to God and God's providence, Gamaliel exercised a certain level of wisdom that was on par with King Solomon of old. The apostles were then taken away, uh, beaten physically for proclaiming Christ, and then charged yet again, harshly even, by the religious leaders never to proclaim Christ and salvation in his name ever again. But see here in Acts 5, God provided for them an escape. This time, not just from the spiritual authorities, but even now here from the civil magistrate here in Acts 5. God provided. God did this. But we must take note of this. For as we go throughout the rest of our series, we'll notice that they've already received now strike one against them. 
And here it was strike two. So surely if persecution and martyrdom were at the doorsteps of their souls and their livelihoods, what would surely come next if they struck out three times with these people? We'll see that in a couple weeks as we continue on in Acts. What would happen if they continued to persist in proclaiming this truth of Christ? (laughs) But speaking of persistence, (laughs) and here I am being reminded of that demotivational poster of the guy chasing the girl (laughs) without a real cause behind him. The whole idea of just, you know, just let her go. It's a lost cause. (laughs) Don't do it, man. The glory of the risen Christ was certainly no lost cause for these apostles. Proclaiming his excellencies was not a lost cause. And so they would not give up. For of Christ are such words that are poetically written in Psalm 110, such as these. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And furthermore, in Psalm 110, it says this, the Lord sends forth from Zion, the highest of all thrones, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. And so friends, even here in Acts, we see a portrait of the rule and the reign of Christ here, which had already begun upon his ascension. He who already sat enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty would indeed surely come back to judge the living and the dead. And within our context here in Acts, we see that Christ who commissioned them to proclaim his name without wavering and without shrinking back continued to provide for them the way of escape wherever it was necessary. But in the end, even to the point of being dishonored. The apostles would eventually go on to preach the gospel to the whole sum of the Jews. They would hear the gospel as we're about to see in the rest of Acts. But through this persecution, God would continue to provide for them and lead them to a place of then evangelizing and bearing witness of Christ to even the Gentiles. And by Paul's time, Paul, who was among this same number in Acts 5 against them, Paul, who would later be converted and come to saving faith in Christ, he would even say that the entire known world had heard the gospel by the end of his ministry. And so as it ends here in our passage in Acts uh, 5, verse 42, it tells us this, summing it up so nicely. Every day in the temple... And from house to house, as they were, of course, being kicked out here and there, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So as we conclude, I have one final point of application for us. And really, hopefully, just an encouraging word for us to keep on persisting ourselves. See, notice the disposition there in verse 41 of the apostles. It says this, Then they left the presence of the council Sad? No. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for the name. What a paradox. These believers would rather hold fast to the unwavering truth 
that Christ is Lord and be dishonored in such a way than ever give way to the commands of men against that law. This truth that we know from Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, again, ironically enough, written by Paul after he was converted, were essentially being pronounced by the Holy Spirit within their own hearts as they continue to persist. These words from Romans 5, which say this, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. See, ironically enough, again, it was the Apostle Paul, one of the judges who stood opposed to them here in this narrative, who would later pen these words. One of those who bore witness to the marvelous work of Christ would later come to grasp this truth and embrace it for himself. He himself would be one who would as well persist and be motivated by the prize, Christ, knowing Christ as Lord. And so face persecution and eventual martyrdom himself, just like the other apostles. For also to quote Paul in advance, as we'll see later on in Acts 20, these apostles did not account their lives of any value, nor of, as precious to themselves, if only that they may finish their course in the ministry that they had received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So where does that leave us? Are we ourselves willing to be dishonored for the honor of the name? Are we ourselves people who are willing and even who would rejoice when trials and tribulations come up against us? When we are esteemed as low or dishonored or shamed by our friends or our colleagues for bearing the name of Christ upon us? Will we choose to wallow in the dishonor that the gospel brings us in our own communities and become disheartened? Or will we choose, like the apostles, to rejoice, to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? May that be true of us. Uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that yours is the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue in heaven and upon earth will confess and every knee shall bow, proclaiming and saying out loud that you are Lord to your glory, O oh God. And so Lord, we thank you that we belong to that company of believers, that we are those who are... Um, oftentimes put down by those who are uh, not in Christ. But Lord, may we choose to rejoice when suffering comes and so bear witness to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, our Savior, come whatever may. And so we pray all this in his holy name. Amen.